Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Digital Switch. I hope that uh, everyone's keeping safe out there. Um, how are you, Sonia? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? I'm doing very well. So I, I think it's important that we kind of set the stage here. This is very exciting for us uh, because, you know, as you know, in the last few episodes, we've talked a lot about data quality and data governance. Um, and and how it pertains uh, to the financial institutions and essentially enterprises. Uh, and so uh, we uh, obviously have done our best to bring you the solution side of things, but uh, as Sonia will introduce our guests in just a second, I think this is a great opportunity to get to see the other perspective, which is from uh, you know veteran uh, financial institution folks themselves. So let's get started, Sonia. So this week we have a great new guest. His name is Dan Power, and he's the Managing Director of Data Governance for Global Markets at State Street. And he's also an esteemed thought leader in the space. So Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you for having me today. I'm uh, looking forward to our conversation. Excellent. Dan, let's start at the very top here. So what are some of the key data challenges enterprises face, uh, particularly in light of the large volume of data that they have to uh, obviously maintain and, uh, you know, uh, use essentially? That's a great question. I came into this myself after having been a consultant in this area for 10 years uh, for a variety of different financial and high tech firms. And what really grabbed me with State Street as far as wanting to work there was the challenge. This is like trying to do a jigsaw puzzle with 10,000 pieces. You're really going to, you know, every day you're going to have something interesting to work on, some great colleagues, some, you know, big, big hairy challenges uh, from a data management and data governance perspective. And, and that has certainly true, proven to be the case. Uh, Part of the problem, I think, for any enterprise of any size is just how many different data sources and databases and applications and platforms and systems and you name it that they have. And certainly not everything requires the same level of governance. So one thing that we did at State Street was we divided things up into what we called key applications and everything else, the non-key applications. And we had a much higher level of governance in, in the higher standard for the key applications. These are the things that kind of ran the bank, provided our um, regulatory reporting, uh, you know, took care of money movement and, you know, deposits and accounts and things like that. Um, but if you look at a, a very simplified version, uh, th there's a group called the Data Management Association International or DAMA. Uh, they have a great uh, data management body of knowledge or DMBOK as it's called. And one of the things they have is a kind of a, a wheel. I call it the wheel of life, but it's it's really something like 10 different uh, areas all clustered around one central area. And it's things like data architecture, data interoperability, data security. Uh, and the central area is data governance because that's the glue that holds everything else together. Um, so I think a lot of places struggle with that. They don't really know what is it, why do we need it. And you know, data governance itself is challenging, uh, but when you look at it as the key that unlocks all of these other areas too around data quality, master data management, and reference data management, um, and you know, analytics, you know, you really can't succeed without those foundational pieces in place. And 
The other thing I would suggest to people as far as resources in the financial industry, uh, there's a group called the Enterprise Data Management Council, which is uh, their website is edmcouncil.org. And they have a lot of great resources too. Uh, we happen, State Street has been a member uh, and on the board of, of uh, EDM Council for I think something like 12 or 14 years. Uh, and it's a great consortium and you know trade advocacy group uh, and a great way to share knowledge between um, different um, you know players in the financial industry around data management. So I, I think that is a good starting point, and I certainly you know point my colleagues to those things all the time, dama.org and edmcouncil.org, because one thing that we tend to find is we try to reinvent the wheel. And when it comes to data governance and data quality and data management and all the other kind of disciplines around this, they, first of all, they all sound the same to, to someone who's not uh, very up on this stuff. But if you start to dig into it, you, this stuff's all been done. It's been solved. It, you know, it's not that it makes it easy, but the worst thing you can do is to try to invent your own solution for a lot of these things. There's good tools available from vendors. They can be integrated with each other. You know, people should not be developing their own kind of custom data quality tools or, you know, metadata management resources or anything. Um, there's just so much else to do. We have something like two to 3,000 applications and databases at State Street. I personally, in my business area, which is global markets, I'm responsible for about 200 of those. And uh, it's a lot. <laughs> and I have a four-person team managing, you know, and governing 200 databases. So uh, there's never any shortage of work to do. And what I would suggest is, you know, start small, kind of get your foundation under you and socialize, communicate, um, you know, evangelize and get the word out to people how valuable this stuff is and how you can't really have a digital transformation or a, a data driven company without data governance at the foundation. That's great, Dan. I really appreciate that. Um, you know, you you talked about digital transformation, uh, which of course is sort of the overarching concepts uh, or the overarching topic rather uh, uh, that we're um, essentially trying to address using, uh, you know, effective data governance and, and things like that. You said something uh, a second ago about how this is not a new kind of problem. You said that, uh, you know, of course, maybe to some extent the data that you have to uh, sort of take care of, if you will, today is is larger than it ever has been. Um, but this is not a, a, a new problem because financial institutions have had to ha deal with uh, all kinds of data for ever since their existence, really. Is that a fair assessment? I would say yes. What, what's new is that people don't necessarily think of data anymore as the exhaust. It used to be that you had your process, you know, you had essentially a black box and information would flow in one side and it would flow out the other. And all the other uh, information that was generated, you know, you take someone simply opening a checking account. Um, that's a very simple process. You, you know, I did it a few months ago. I didn't even have to go into the bank. I did it all by phone. And uh, at the end of the day, I had a new account number. And, you know, a week later, the check showed up. Um, but it generates so much more information about me as a customer that you know, the bank can look at in context and say, oh, okay, so he's operating this bank account for a nonprofit that he started. He's also got a personal checking and personal savings for his family. 
he doesn't have his mortgage with us. I wonder why that is. And you can really look at the whole person and, you know, you can stitch together these things through all of the different disparate databases that might exist to get that, you know, 360 degree view of the customer, uh, which is not easy. I mean, you have to have data that's consistent. You have to have, have shared identifiers and customer IDs and, and other uh, ways of, of uh, stitching the, the data together. And then you want to have some kind of analytics on top of it that says, okay, it's not enough to know that we have this customer. How long are we likely to keep him? What's his lifetime value going to be? You know, is he part of a household? Are there other people in that household we should be targeting as, as potential customers like his wife with her small business or his son who just turned 18 with a checking account or whatever, uh, those life events that might be happening. And, you know, nothing's going to be perfect. One of the things that I see a lot is in the data world, uh, you know, none of this stuff is new, but people kind of still expect it to be perfect. So, um, you know, anything less than 100% data quality is unacceptable. And, you know, we can't use this because it isn't, you know, it's not completely populated. Uh, what people don't understand is, you know, those last few percentage points of perfection are incredibly expensive, prohibitively expensive. You know, you can get to 90% pretty easily. You can get from 90 to 95% with a lot more work. But that last 5% is going to kill you. And you, you shouldn't be unrealistic about your goals in terms of, you know, data quality. Um, it's not that you want to have sloppy data. You can't. But, you know, obviously your business won't run. Uh, but you have to have some tolerance. Your business has to have enough resiliency built in that it can tolerate, you know, 2% bad data or missing data. Uh, you know, your processes can't be so fragile that the first time data comes through, it breaks them. Um, so that actually turns out to be very hard. That judgment of knowing where to stop, you know, what is the, where do we hit the point of diminishing returns in our <clears throat> pursuit of perfection and data quality and in business processes, you know, and how do we design resilient business processes around data that might not always be complete or accurate or timely or whatever. So um, that actually turns out to be very hard. And especially when you're moving data from one system to another, data is okay over here in system A, when you pull it out and try to feed it into system B, that's where you're going to find all the issues and anomalies and data quality problems. Uh, and unfortunately, with the way banking works, you have to do that a lot. You know, we have 2,000 systems and, you know, uh, on average, every system we have talks to two or three or four or five other systems. So there's an awful lot of that data movement and flow uh, of the, like an ecosystem. So the way I try to explain it to people or to think about it is it's a, you know, almost like a water treatment facility. And, you know, you have downstream customers that you want to make sure the water going to them is very clean. Uh, you know, you obviously want to make sure the data coming in through the wells and the ponds and the reservoirs is not polluted. And then everything in between is part of that filtration mechanism and, you know, processing plant that it cleans up and, you know, gets the data ready. Um, and you're almost building data pipelines. And there are products out there that will help you do that. Uh, particularly for analysis and, you know, um, you know, dashboarding and AI and machine learning. Um, but you, you almost have to have that, that water treatment plant mentality and that infrastructure around data in order to be able to do the very, you know, sexy, fancy things that we all want to get to in terms of generating new revenue or enhancing customer satisfaction or, you know, predictive modeling or whatever it is we're trying to do. So, Dan, let's talk about the risks firms face when it comes to having this low-quality data or, as you mentioned, not having any sort of data governance implemented. We know that pieces of data that are inaccurate, inconsistent, uh, incomplete, and even untimely, they can quickly cascade down uh, the enterprise through its pipeline. And we know that this negatively affects 
kind of three big areas of a business, decision-making, regulatory compliance, and operational performance. So this kind of leads me to my next question. Can you talk about some of the risks or maybe the bottlenecks that firms face when it comes to having low-quality data? Absolutely. And that's a very pertinent question because uh, there was a quote that I heard quite a while ago, and I probably won't get it completely right, but I think it was a gentleman named Robert Orr. And he wrote uh, basically that bad data is like dirt on the windshield of a car. You know, it will just keep building up and building up. And eventually you're going to have to stop and pull over and clean the windshield in order to be able to avert a tragedy. Um, so the risk is it's persistent. It doesn't go away. You're, you're never going to get to the point where you say, oh, God, thank God I don't have to clean my data anymore. Um, and a lot of people don't have or companies don't have any real systematic way to scrub their data. They basically rely on the person keyboarding it in. And hopefully that person does a good job. And then the data flows to the next system and the next system and the next system. And it's getting aggregated and, and, you know, calculations are being done and transformations are being done. Some of them are quite complex. And then what comes out at the end, it's like that game of telephone where one person whispers in the person next to them's ear and tells them a phrase. And then the next person, you know, and the next person, and by the time it comes back around, it's unrecognizable from what it started. So that's the big risk. You know, you have compliance reports that are wrong, uh, regulatory reports that are wrong, management reports that are wrong. So it's very hard to have a, you know, a digital transformation that is trying to make things more efficient if you're feeding bad data in because it's garbage in, garbage out, which is, you know, one of the very first terms I learned in, in computer science back at uh, in college. But the, the risk is uh, you're not going to be able to get the revenue that expected or satisfy the clients the way you want. Your process costs, you know, your internal efficiency will be hurt. Uh, so you're, you know, you might be thinking, okay, this digital transformation is going to save us 40%, and you find you underachieve that because the data is not good. Or you might be creating a, you know, a fancy um, AI model um, to predict customer churn or whatever, and guess what? You invest all this time and money building it, and it's unusable because the data that you're feeding into it is bad. So there's there's risk everywhere you look, and and people have estimated that the actual cost in terms of what I call a hidden tax on the business can be as much as 10 to 15% of the total revenue of the firm, uh, which sounds, you know, astoundingly large. But if you have a $10 billion firm, you could be spending, you know, a billion to a billion and a half dollars a year um, in unnecessary costs or foregone revenue or you know, lost customers or you know, regulatory fines or whatever. But it does happen. And, you know, there are businesses in the financial services industry that have been hit with you know, big fines and partly because their their systems were not very good and they didn't talk to each other very well. And, you know, whether it's anti-money laundering or whatever, uh, you know, the regulators are done. They're not going to tolerate it very much. Uh, you know, you, if you point to your system and say, well, you know, we installed this COBOL system 30 years ago and it doesn't really work very well, they're going to say, well, sorry, we're still going to fine you. So data quality is, uh, it's really uh, a bit of a hidden tax or like, a, uh, you know, it's the problem that doesn't dare speak its name because it gets in the way of so many other things that management is focused on. It's one of the top 10 reasons that system implementations fail. Uh, it's one of the biggest reasons that, you know, machine learning and AI fail. Um, it causes, you know, blown budgets, you know, blown timelines, blown careers. Um, and people don't think to look at it. It's, you know, whenever I get involved in something, the data is the very first thing I do. I look at the data. We 
profile it. We run data quality tests against it. We're looking for what's missing, what's out of date, uh, what doesn't fit the definitions, you know, all the outliers. You know, if I'm looking at a company name, do I find special characters in there? Do I find the word do not use in there? Um, what's at the very top of the list? What's at the very bottom of the list? And I sort of different ways and I look for those outliers. And you can do it manually, but the real way to do it is with the data quality tool of some kind to be able to build those business rules and then run them repetitively so that, you know, every time you get a new customer, you're examining it with the same rules that you did for the other 100,000 customers. So you know that the data coming in, whether it's being keyboarded in or coming in over the web or you bought it from a vendor or whatever, you know that that data is going to meet those rules. And then over time, you can, you know, improve the rules and catch even more anomalies and outliers. Um, but obviously you don't want to be doing that by hand or using Microsoft Excel or anything like that. I really like uh, the analogy that you uh, mentioned about dirt on the windshield, uh, because to me, it essentially means that you can't move forward until you have clarity of data. And uh, I, I thought that was very, very fitting. Um, you know, you said uh, just a second ago about, uh, you know, manually, manually entering data, um, which kind of leads me to the next question. Um, at Pier Nova, we usually uh, talk a lot about uh, this, this concept of an effective data governance approach, if you will, which mm -hmm. essentially highlights, uh, you know, an active approach to data governance. So, you know, having automated uh, glossaries and dictionaries and so on and so forth, and not having to rely on stale uh, data that, as you uh, alluded to a second ago, is typically the result of these manual um, sort of uh, inputs. Um, I'm curious, uh, you know, as you mentioned, you watch over a lot of systems and this is, you know, data governance is such an integral part of what you do. I'm curious, what do you consider an effective data governance model? Wow. Um, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> All the time you need. <laughs> there, there's a lot to it. I, I, I would start with the people and say you need to have experienced data professionals. Um, this is, you know, and I see people sometimes say, well, they really know the business. They can learn the data governance side. And I think up to a point that's true. But one of the reasons State Street brought me in was that I had 10 years of experience as a consultant you know, developing data strategies and, you know, implementing master data management and improving data quality for large firms. Uh, so I think you need a mix that on the people side, it's good to have internal people that really know where all the bodies are buried and what the culture is like and what will work and what won't and, you know, what different senior executives uh, will go for and fund and what they won't. But I do think you need some external people that maybe they don't know the business as well. And I would have to admit, I'm not a financial genius. Um, I rely on my colleagues for that. But they also know data. They are, you know, they can, you know, I can. I tell people all the time, I can smell a data quality problem. I, I, I know exactly where to look. I know how to find them. Uh, it takes me, you know, 10 minutes to do what might take someone else 10 hours. And that's because I have the experience and I've been doing it for a long time. Uh, on the technology side, you, you know, there isn't a silver bullet. You know, you, you probably need uh, four or five different platforms. You need a data quality tool. Uh, you probably need some kind of metadata management repository or dictionary. Uh, you want to have a lot of flexibility and the, you know, the capability to have workflow and automation. Uh, a lot of times when people start out, they're you know, keeping track of their data in Excel spreadsheets using SharePoint, which isn't the end of the world, but it's not very effective and not very efficient. Uh, so, you know, look at the big providers, um, you know, 
the look at the Gartner Magic Quadrants for data quality, uh, data cataloging. Look at the new tools. You know, there's lots of uh, uh, AI and ML-based approaches to um, to data cataloging, for example. Um, and and look at the big data world. You know, you've got to look at uh, you know Hadoop and uh, Snowflake and all the other uh, tools that really lend themselves, especially the cloud-based ones. But the the other thing is, a lot of times people they start with these things, you know, people, process, and technology. They don't build in enough automation. They don't they don't keep things simple, and their technology doesn't talk to itself. So they have you know disconnected systems, even for the data management side of things. It's like, look, how are you ever going to get your your main systems to talk when your data management platforms that are supposed to manage everything don't talk? So there's lots of rookie mistakes that, that end up causing, you know, costing people time. If they start from scratch and they develop a strategy and, you know, we want to enable digital transformation or increase revenue or reduce costs or, you know, provide better compliance or, you know, make decision-making more effective or increase agility in the business or whatever the, you know, combination of those they want to do, uh, an experienced data professional can help them get there faster and can look for the types of other colleagues they want to bring in or promote or move around and, you know, what kind of culture should we shoot, should we be shooting for in terms of transforming our culture? Uh, data matters. And I think what we're seeing is, especially in COVID, is if your data is wrong, then so many other things go wrong. It's, it's like a cascade effect. And you want to get your data right, um, whether it's, you know, predicting customer churn or um, helping you figure out how to, you know, relocate, uh, you know, 40,000 employees to go work from their spare bedrooms for the next six months. So, Without good data, none of those things really are possible. So you talked a lot about the kind of data governance formula, having the right people, the right processes, and the right technology. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about the kinds of benefits these firms can expect when it comes to the three buckets I mentioned earlier, regulatory compliance, operational efficiency, and decision-making. Maybe focusing a little Mm -hmm. more on decision-making because we haven't really hit on that as much. Sure. Those are three of the five drivers that I typically look for, by the way, is the decision making and agility, uh, regulatory compliance and operational efficiency. The other two I would say are important are revenue increases. You know, can can we through better data make more revenue, which is hard, I'll tell you, um, but it, it is helpful to keep that lens uh, um, in the toolbox, so to speak. And then the other one would be, um, I, I think, agility is, you know, being able to uh, get there faster. You know, com- business is so competitive these days and things that used to take us two years or, you know, we're now being asked to do them in two months. And I, I think the benefits of a strong data governance program and, you know, I- integrated with your other, you know, strategic priorities. Um, and, and that would be the first thing I would say to you, by the way, is that if you're going to have a data governance program, make sure you can point to the firm's overall strategy and how you support, how your data governance program supports every single one of those pillars of that strategy. Um, because if the firm is focused on growth, you need to be able to support growth. If the firm is focused on better compliance, you need to be able to support that. So uh, I would say that, you know, data is increasingly the fuel, you know, the lifeblood of the business. And there are businesses that have, have grown up and, you know, the only thing they do is data. Uh, but in the financial services world, we forget that, you know, we think it's about the money. Really now the money is all ones and zeros. It's all data. You know, foreign exchange trading, currency, um, um, securities trading, fixed income, whatever. 
there are a lot of insights to be gained from the flows and movement of the money. Uh, they can help you predict, you know, where that, that price of that security is going to go. Um, but you have to have good information and good systems to be able to do those things and to, you know, to be able to go after those operational efficiency increases, uh, you know, through better processes and, and you know, fewer sticking points and, and you know, friction points along the way, uh, better compliance and better regulatory efforts uh, so that, you know, things don't have to go through 20 hops. One of the biggest issues we see is because we're so uh, siloed, we have a group over here that does the work, and then we have another group over here that gets data from them, and they prepare the reports, and then there's lots of back and forth every month or every quarter uh, about mistakes in the data. You know, this security doesn't exist. This security is priced at zero what's going on, um, and by having better, more effective, and more integrated uh, data quality and data governance, a lot of those back and forths go away, which makes the process more efficient and makes the end result more reliable. So I, I think you're right to have isolated or you know to point it out, those, those three is the biggest buckets for financial services. Unfortunately, some other industries don't really have those. You know, in the high-tech field, the biggest question I would always get was, what happens if we don't do this? And there isn't an SEC or a Fed or, you know, a FINRA uh, that's waiting to kind of bust in and, and you know, do an audit. Um, in a lot of high-tech firms, the answer is, well, you, you might not be able to grow as quickly. Um, but for the financial industry, in, in a way, thankfully, we have strong regulatory frameworks that we have to work within. And those require, you know, good, reliable access to highly trustworthy data that we feel comfortable you know, sending off to the regulator, whether it be daily, monthly, quarterly, whatever, um, because the last thing you want to do is have to restate those reports or you know, restate your financials um, with the regulator. Uh, you, know, you find an issue. We found one at one point. Uh, it was actually in the vendor-provided product, but the, there was a bug in the vendor's code, and we had to restate you know, a small part of our financials uh, going back like two years. And um, obviously, we weren't very happy. The vendor wasn't very happy. The regulator wasn't very happy. Um, and, you know, it, it looked a lot of the problems we see that they look like data quality issues. When you dig in, dig in a little further, you realize it's really a software issue. The data is the way it is and, and it's wrong because somewhere along the line, a piece of software ran on that data that was, you know, had a bug. And as a result, the data came out mangled or bad or whatever. Um, so often it's very hard to separate the process from the data. Um, and it requires a lot of research and a lot of root cause analysis to try to find out why things happen the way they do. We had one really weird thing where it only happened on Easter, um, the, you know, Good Friday, which is the Friday before Easter. Um, and what happened was everything that used to have a positive sign in front of it flipped and had a negative sign for this one kind of transaction. Only that one transaction, all it did was flip the signs from positive to negative, and it only happened on Good Friday. So uh, those are tough to find out the root cause. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, yeah, we, we never did figure it out. Actually, we, we upgraded the system to a totally different product, and that made the issue go away. Uh, thank you for that uh, story, Dan. I think it really highlights just how complex things are. And as you mentioned, the ramifications of bad data or poor data governance policies in general can be great. Uh, that could, you know, as you mentioned, could be uh, extremely time consuming to address, perhaps maybe even fines can be involved from a regulatory perspective, but uh, the, it, there, there's more reason than ever, I guess, uh, to get these things right in the first place. Um, I think the, the key takeaway for me in this conversation was that 
you know, in order to have an effective data governance model, uh, you really need a combination of, of course, like you said, expertise, maybe a change to some extent in organizational culture or behavior, and of course, technology. Um, and I think with that in place, you should be able to address uh, a great majority of the three Vs of data that we often talk about. But Dan, I really appreciate your insights and uh, I hope we can have you again on the show. Uh, for those of you who'd like to learn more about Dan's background, we'll place an appropriate link in the episode's notes. But uh, Dan, thank you again for your time. Uh, did I capture that summary uh, okay there? <laughs> I think that was great, and I've really enjoyed this discussion. It, it got me thinking, and uh, hopefully I was able to answer your questions. And if you want to speak again, I'd be delighted to do that. Absolutely. This was another really great conversation, so thank you for joining us, Dan. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening or watching this episode of Digital Switch. You can find us, share us, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast streaming service or visit us on digitalswitch.show. Stay up to date on podcast episodes, blog posts, videos, and all things Purenova at purenova.com, on YouTube, and at Purenova Inc. on Twitter. Have a great week, everyone, and stay safe.